0: Do you say is the most significant and interesting construction cases or developments over the last decade?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's um, quite a tricky question um, because one of the um, developments I would say over the last mm, probably ten fifteen years uh, has been a shift, certainly domestically, where so much of it plays out um, in ADR. Uh, and so, in terms of really significant appellate cases going through to the courts, there is definitely less than say twenty five years ago um, and um and you know what we've just been discussing with the heavy international aspect and how much of that is is in arbitration again, confidential so I think one of actually one of the challenges um which your- question flags to my mind is that um we're not seeing uh, I think it's. I don't think it's a. I don't think there's much one can do about it. I think it's an inevitability, in a sense, as a result of the the shift in dispute resolution that we've been discussing. But we're seeing, I think, a lack of sufficient number of cases flowing through the courts that are sufficiently um, high level to really generate uh, the developments that we might have seen, say, fifteen, twenty years ago. And so. The two that, thinking about sort of two cases that I would choose, neither of them are actually construction cases, but both of them play out in the construction area. Um, They're both important. And I think that's an interesting aspect of the way practice is developed, that we will see, um, as less cases go on appeal, we will see um, appellate cases in in other areas having really quite broad ramifications and so the two i was thinking about is is, uh, rock advertising you know the supreme court case from 2018 completely out of construction although you might say it's sort of building it's to do the license agreement and rent arrears Um, that i thought was um, a a good example of a case that has definitely made a difference Um, i think it's interesting because it's a good example of appellate courts disagreeing you know Court of Appeal taking one view, Supreme Court taking a completely different view, a very pragmatic decision in enforcing uh, the no oral variation clause. Um, and a decision which I think gives um, has real ramifications in, in our field of work, uh, both, if I can put it this way, directly and, and indirectly. Um, I've certainly had a number of cases where I've been asked to advise on, on consequences of um, the case and not all necessarily ones that would immediately be obvious. But um, I was arguing a case last year in the Commercial Court, performance bond arising out of a construction project, and we were looking at a, a non-waiver provision, um, and uh, managed, you know, swayed the court in the context of ROC that actually, when you're looking at a, a non-waiver provision. Um, what was necessary was not just to show a waiver but a waiver of the non-waiver clause (laughs) Um, and so you you know you can start to see that that the case which in many ways is is on the periphery of our of our area of work actually in terms um, of the decision um, and uh, particularly construction projects which are often um, sometimes in some regions have a degree of informality you know, the, the, it's not that unusual to have agreements that aren't recorded in writing or don't comply with the contractual requirements for agreements or, or varied work. One step further, not just varying the contract but varying the work. How far does rock advertising go? So I think that's really interesting, and we'll, I think we'll see more of it. And then the second case is probably uh, probably an obvious one, which is the MacDESI case uh, on LDS, LADs, and uh, again not. Nothing to do with our area of work at all, um, but uh, really interesting and one that I think um, will have ramifications. Less clear exactly what those ramifications are, and I think in contrast to, to rock advertising, um, it's introduced a, a lack of clarity. I mean, I think the industry um, and the jurisprudence around uh, liquidated damages was, um, if I can put it this way, relatively settled. Uh, or all was certainly treated that way. Um, but I think the uh, the new test um in so far as um if you look if you know if you look at speech of the Lord Hodge and Lord Mance, it'd be quite interesting to see how that plays out in the construction industry, where obviously almost every single contract has an LAD provision in it.
0: Absolutely I mean what, what is interesting is if you go through Chitty um, when you're you know doing your research um obviously being a general commercial contractual textbook um not focusing on construction at all but most a, a a significant number of the major cases concerning contract law um traditionally or historically i should say came out of the construction industry because it's a litigious sector um contracts uh you know contractual issues legal issues arose all the time so I think, in a way, it's a shame, isn't it? Because we're not getting these issues resolved as quickly as we might. Um, these, these these legal questions, which haven't been fully resolved. Um, on, on that, is there any issue which you feel is particularly ripe for for determination by the courts?
1: Well, I guess the obvious answer to that, and it isn't really a legal issue, but um, would be standard form contracts, um, whether it's NEC or FIDIC. Um, and what, you know, I, when when you think of the conversation we've just had, lack of big, significant construction cases that really develop the law in the way that we had before. I mean, they are happening, but they're in arbitration or the debates are happening in adjudication. And so they're obviously not developing the law in, in the sense that we're talking about. And one of the issues that falls out of that is, I think, the the real paucity of guidance around standard form contracts. and with that, then um, comes the sort of complication, particularly in the international arena, um, as regards FIDIC. I think domestically, as regards the NEC, that you have parties and an industry that occasionally will take a view or will approach something um, with a particular view, but where in fact there are no, you know, there's no um, jurisprudence really to, at least specifically, uh, to address that. And so I think. That, that if, you, if you're asking me, where would, you know, legal guidance assist the industry in terms of risk management, I think it would be uh, more cases flowing through to the court um, that decides the standard form issues.
0: Because there is no, there hasn't been much treatment of say, say the Fidic form. I mean, there have been, and there have been some cases, of course, we, we know about those, but there aren't that many. No. And I think one of the interesting things about in being an international lawyer is very often I'll get asked by a client, well, you know, FIDIC is some special thing, um, and can you tell me what the, what the judges or the courts say about this particular provision or that particular provision? And you say, well, um, I'm afraid there haven't been any cases on that, so, or we have to, we, we we've got one case which touched on it um, and didn't really didn't really tell us very much, and more judicial guidance on NEC3 in particular would I think be been quite useful to clients but we've, we've seen very few cases about NEC3 so um, as you say we're slightly in the dark about, about certain issues and how certain aspects of those contracts would be treated by a judge or by a tribunal we can only go on what we've personally experienced so I think that's, that's a very good point